and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It is an NFL Saturday here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve with you. Uh, preparing for an interesting game between two organizations that could not be going through any more uh, turmoil, shall we say? Are you talking about the Ravens and the Browns? No, unfortunately, oh, okay. I'm talking about our Arizona Cardinals uh, who face the Denver Broncos, also going through their own situation over there in Colorado. Uh, and for more details on that, we bring in my good friend Darren McKee from 104.3 The Fan in Denver. He's the host of The Drive. Mac, thanks so much for uh, giving us some of your perspective today. Oh, Steve, Mitch, it's, it's wonderful to be on with you guys. Um, ramping up. To the game, the NFL wish they could forget the Broncos and the Cardinals. Absolutely. It's one of the worst matchups. We were just talking about the Monday night matchup of the Packers and the Rams and how terrible they've both been in, in context of the clout of their organizations. I would argue that the Cardinals and the Broncos are going through worse. Which organization would you rather be going into this game? I guess I'd rather be the Cardinals. Because Kyler Murray uh, is younger, I guess. It's bad, though. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, that's just a guess. The, the biggest problem the Broncos have, sadly, is Russell Wilson. And while, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's probably going to get fired and George Payton's proved to be a, a lousy GM, um, the, the issue really is Wilson. And, and as Murray theoretically, theoretically, gets older, he gets better. Well, you can't say the same for Russ. So I, I guess you guys have the advantage. Yeah, no, I'm actually curious because the way you said, I don't know if it's you making this opinion in regards to George Payton, but I'm curious because I, as a Broncos fan myself, I thought he's drafted rather well. I thought he had made all of the right moves. Like I loved the Randy Gregory signing, and then obviously the late-round picks have worked out wonders. But I think that because of the weight of this Russell Wilson trade, has it created kind of like a black mark on his his very early legacy as Broncos GM? We can go over bad move by bad move. If you want to start with Randy Gregory, this is the guy who's barely played in his NFL career, and he's missed nine games with the Broncos. He is going to come back and play on, I think he's going to play tomorrow, but he's been gone the entire year. Right. And the Broncos could have, if they wanted to, re-signed Von Miller, uh, who sadly has been hurt now with the Bills, but Von obviously had a better year than Randy Gregory, so they didn't want to go in that direction. The the albatross, the, what, what's the, the worst thing is not only what you gave up for Russell Wilson, but doing a contract with them where you didn't have to. Yeah. So they gave up two first, two seconds, and they're in a financial hole that is just, you know, basically impossible to get out of, guys. And, and that's what's really going to cripple this team. Yeah, and speaking of that impossible contract, I mean, I feel like Arizona's kind of going through something similar with their head coach situation, with their GM, Steve Keim, who's now unfortunately on a medical leave of absence. We don't know how long that will last, of course. But it's a similar type of thing that they're going through, right? Because while Russell has had a bad season and you're locked in for so many years and so much money, the Cardinals are feeling something similar with their head coach situation, and you kind of feel like you're stuck. Like, where is there to go? That's... That's an interesting question. At least the Cardinals, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, have a first-round draft pick this year, and it's yeah. looking better and better. <laughs> so I, I, I suppose what the Cardinals have to figure out is do they like the direction Steve Kime, and I hope he you know, gets better, obviously. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the medical leave. 
But but Steve, I think, was on uh, thin ice to start with and, and was all in with Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. And if Kingsbury and Kyler Murray don't work out, how does Steve Kine work out? I, I, I guess I, I – but I don't know all the in particulars that, that you guys do. At least the Cardinals, if they want to reboot, if they do, if they want to start over with a new coach and a new quarterback, you're probably in the right position to do it, whereas the Broncos are in a world of hurt. You know, you can replace the coach. You just guys, you just cannot replace the quarterback. If you want to replace uh, Kyler Murray, you can. I mean, it would suck because you put so much into it. But you're in a position that you you could do it theoretically. And and, and again, I don't know what the guaranteed money is with Kyler. You guys would know better than I. But you can always at least draft a quarterback if you want to. <laughs> and maybe that quarterback, you know, sits on the bench for a year or two. The Broncos can't even do that. That's how bad it is for Denver. Darren McKee, host of 104.3, the fan in Denver's The Drive in the afternoons, joined by uh, Derek Wolf. I actually want to ask you about how D. Wolf's doing after we're done. But I want to circle back to Nathaniel Hackett. And I think everybody from like the Broncos fanship perspective was just excited to finally get an offensive mind to be in, char- in charge of this team because the offense had plagued the defense for so many years since Peyton Manning retired. And now the offense is very much more so plaguing the defense, and the defense is playing at a historic level. You don't see any way that Hackett survives beyond this season, do you? Oh, no, I, I absolutely see, see a way. And um, if I was Greg Penner, the owner of the Broncos, or one of the co-owners, the guy that's calling the shots, right. <laughs> I would want one of two things if I was him. I would want a coach to come in who is also going to be a management sort of guy, like a Sean Payton or a Jim Harbaugh, somebody that philosophically we can all go in the same direction. If not for that, if I'm Greg Penner, you know what I would really do? I would keep Nathaniel Hackett and George Payton and Russell Wilson, and I'd be all in for one more year, and either it does all click together or it's easier after 2023 to get rid of them all. I I don't think they're going to do that. I think George Payton is going to realize the best chance that I have, the GM, George Payton, to survive is to bring in a Dan Quinn or a Leslie Frazier or Frank Reich, somebody like that. The Broncos have hired three straight first-time coaches, so I doubt they go down that road. They'll probably hire a retread. So is there a way for Hackett to keep the job? Well, sure, absolutely. Because the Broncos have had a ridiculous amount of injuries, and they've lost a lot of close games. Right. So they could clearly go say, hey, listen, it's about to click. Just give it one more year. Look how much better we're going to be. And it was a fascinating decision for the Broncos. Guys, you realize Russell Wilson is cleared. Russell yeah. Wilson is out of the protocol. So it was an organization, uh, organizational decision for, for the betterment of Russell Wilson and perhaps to protect their deep investment to actually not play him. Russell Wilson didn't like it, but it was actually a very, very smart move. So you may see a situation where they just say, listen, we just got to get healthy and we're on the right track. And that way Hackett could come back. 
We were talking earlier about motivation for the Arizona Cardinals specifically. You know, what's left to play for if your your quarterback is injured for the foreseeable future? He's not coming back anytime soon. Uh, you don't have the playoff picture. It, it's just not really going to work out mathematically. The Broncos are in a similar situation, except, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's no first-round draft pick to play for. Not that players ever lose intentionally to better a draft pick. That's never really been a motivating factor to begin with. But what is left to motivate the Broncos moving forward? Well, I think a home game for the Broncos helps in this particular game tomorrow. I think that's, that's, that's an advantage. Uh, I, I just saw so much quit in the Cardinals last week. I don't know. I don't, I don't, again, I don't know how you guys thought. But, you know, the Broncos were down 27 nothing to the Chiefs and, and made that a competitive game. The Broncos had the ball down less than a touchdown twice against the Chiefs after being down 27 nothing, I mean, I didn't see any heart out of the Cardinals. So I, I think that's the home field is the advantage. Other than that, I, I really don't know, guys. I mean, I guess I'll pick the Broncos to win 6-3, to three, something like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a dreadful game on paper. And the only advantage I think the Broncos would have is the, you know, the, the, the pleasure of playing at home. I, I kind of want to ask an out-of-the-box question. I think it's clear that quarterback help or help to make Russell Wilson look like Russell Wilson again. It should be at the top of the Broncos list. But I'm curious what you think about this. Would the Broncos consider going after another quarterback, not to replace Russ, but to replace Brett Rippon, and particularly if Rippon can't play up to a good level tomorrow? Well, they should have, and they had a chance to you know, poach Baker Mayfield, and they didn't even try. And instead, well, I'll I'll give you guys a nickel uh, if you know who the Broncos signed onto their practice squad, and he has Cardinals roots. I know this one, unfortunately. Jarek Garantano. I know this one. (laughs) Now, how do you know that? I pay too much attention, Darren. I pay too much attention. (laughs) Well, we're calling him Jay Gitt uh, for Jarek Guantanamo, and we're just calling him Jay Gitt around here. (laughs) And Nathaniel Hackett this week was asked, uh, you know, uh, about Guarantano. And he said it would be exciting to see him play. And I was like, huh? Why would it be exciting to see him play? Wouldn't it be a nightmare to see him play? Like, what has what this year devolved into? And then I followed up and I asked uh, Coach Hackett, uh, well, Brett Rippon is going to start if, if, uh, if Russell Wilson can't go. And he goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, tr- <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out why the head coach of the Broncos would find it exciting for Jarrett uh, Guarantano to play. Uh, but that that might happen if there's an injury to Brett Rippon. How about that? And uh, he got cut from the Cardinals practice squad. Isn't that right? Yes. Uh, yeah, that is correct. Hey, uh, DMAC, we really appreciate you spending some time with us, sharing some of your insights on what's going on in Denver. Uh, I think you and I are kind of on the same page. We're not super excited to watch this game tomorrow. No. But it's the one that we're left with. So thanks so much for uh, for talking with us for a few. All right, you guys. You got it. Got it. All right, man. Uh, that's Darren McKee from 104.3 The Fan in uh, Denver. Um, great dude. He's got some he good insights. Using a 1960s television or something. Yeah, it must be, must, be, be there. must be snowing in Denver. His signal is just <laughs> totally crapping out there at the end. But, I'm actually uh, kind of bummed. I wanted to ask him how he is with D. Wolf and how that's going. I was, I was going to ask if he thought the Nuggets and the Suns were better. Oh, but my God. <laughs> well, okay. Which team so, is better? I to don't make know. things simple, the Nuggets lost to the Lakers last night, and the Lakers lost AD for the entirety of the second half. Yeah. 
So, I don't know. I think the Suns are better. I think uh, you could definitely say the Suns-Nuggets is not like any sort of rivalry. Well, but let's be honest. Well, remember, it was supposed to be the Suns in four, and then here come the Nuggets in the regular season, but they didn't have Jamal Murray the whole year, so it's like the weight is gone, you there, know? There might be another team in the NBA that oh. is quickly becoming a rival for the Phoenix Suns. I see what you did there. I'll tell you all about that next. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I don't get that. I don't get. I don't even get it to this day about that whole sportsmanship. Like, like, bro, I like play to the end. Like, I get it sometimes, but like, yeah, if you fired up in the team, you got a little rival with and all that stuff. Like, yeah, you're gonna play to the end. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. Go as crazy as you want. You want to dunk. You're at home. You want the crowd to go crazy. So, 100%. And it's Zion, bro. The boy did a 360 windmill. Like, my dunk was just a two-hand behind the back. If I could 360 windmill, I would have done that whole too. That, of course, is the unmistakable voice of Mikkel Bridges, Suns Forward. He was a guest of the Old Man in the Three podcast hosted by J.J. Redick. Uh, Mitch Varelda, Steve Zinsmeister, back here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Trevor Henry behind the glass. What he's referring to, for those of you that are not aware, is the Zion Windmill 360 dunk ah. to close out the, I believe it was the Friday contest two weeks ago between the Suns and the Pelicans. A a, a doubleheader, not a doubleheader, a back-to-back. A back-to-back, yeah. It was like a, a Friday and a Sunday. Se- it was a two-game series. You know, right. they shrunk it like in baseball terms. In the same city, which There was is a weird. day off in between. They both played in New Orleans. The Suns lost both of those games, but... Really, a reignition of what is now a budding rivalry that was naturally born in last year's playoffs, Steve. Yeah, so here's the thing about creating a new rivalry. Because I I think we can all agree that watching the Suns and the Pelicans is fun, although I think a lot of Suns fans would argue that watching them lose to the Pelicans twice in a row now is not great. Nope. Uh, And we're going to see what happens here tonight, but... Neither of these teams have been fully healthy when they faced each other. In that playoff series, there was no Zion. So it's hard to say that that was a f- fair fight. But the Suns but given, faced the team that they were facing. Given with. what he's provided to the Pelicans this year, I agree 100%. These past two games that they faced the Pelicans, there's no Brandon Ingram, who's arguably their most polished player at this point. So neither of these teams have faced each other fully healthy. That's one aspect of this. I can't really think of a lot of rivalries off the top of my head, or any really, that are rivalries just because they're fun. Like, usually a rivalry is built upon that team did something to us. They knocked us out of the playoffs. They beat us in a World Series. They beat us in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the NBA's case, the Suns often got knocked out by the Lakers in the early 2000s. Same thing for the Spurs. There's reason to hate them. The Robert Ory hip check. Uh, Kobe Bryant always seemingly hitting the last shot and every time they faced him. Always. Uh, So there's always a reason to dislike them and that creates the rivalry. Here's why I think maybe the Suns and the Pelicans are a good fit for a rivalry, but nobody will take it seriously. It's because the Suns fans view them as a rival with the Lakers. Do the Lakers fans feel that way about the Suns? I don't think so. Now, I kind of want to argue yes and no. Do you feel like the Lakers have a longer standing rivalry with the Suns or with the Celtics? The Celtics, that's obvious. Okay. See, I, I think it's because the Lakers, they realized they already had a premier rival. So the Suns. Well, they were playing in the finals like for an entire decade. Right. 
even more so than that. Right. And I think that the thing with the Spurs, the Suns and the Spurs, and the you know uh, the Popovich years, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Mono Ginobili, the whole thing, uh, Bruce Bowen. I think that the Spurs probably don't even look at the Suns as a big time rival. So is this kind of like a Midsummer's Night's Dream, where it's like the Suns are real rivals with the Lakers, but the Lakers aren't with the Suns, but the Lakers are real rivals with the Celtics. But the Celtics aren't with the Lakers, and the Celtics are real rivals with the Bucks. But the Bucks aren't real rivals with. It. You see what I mean? Yeah, it, it it is. It's it's sometimes hard to come across two organizations in any sport that view each other as their rivals. There are true ones. There's the Red Sox and the Yankees. There's Ohio State and Michigan uh, here locally. ASU and U of A. It's obvious, yes. right? But it's hard to build a new rivalry. It's hard to create something that doesn't have historical context because the Pelicans, in the grand scheme of things, really haven't done they don't anything have to a the Suns. History. Well, yeah, as an organization, the part of it. relatively new to begin with. They've been a basketball team since this century began. Right. But realistically, they were they've been a basketball team after this century began. So it was really, like two thousand three or two thousand two. What makes them a good fit for a potential budding rivalry in the future? And going forward is the fact that they don't have another major rival. At least I don't think that the Pelicans, I don't think of the Pelicans and think, oh yeah, they're major rivals with so-and-so. Like, I I don't have a name in there. I mean, unless you would consider old Hornets rivalries, but even nowadays, like Charlotte re-expanded a basketball team and there's a brand new Charlotte Hornets. Like, the Pelicans are so far removed from the team that they used to be that they kind of are starting from scratch and the Suns kind of feel like their first and only rival. The Suns have created a situation where the Pelicans feel that they are rivals. Because remember, after that dunk that you you uh, played the clip in response to, mm-hmm. uh, Zion makes that big windmill dunk at the end of a game. He didn't have to do that, but he did it because it was an emphatic way to end a dominant game for Zion. a good win. He had 35 points. He had a plus 30 plus minus in that game. Absurd. He dominated in every way, shape, and fashion. So he put an exclamation point on the end of that game, and he said after the game that it was because, hey, you got to understand, that's the team that eliminated my friends, my teammates, and I wasn't there during that series. Mm -hmm. That's the rationale in his head, right? The Suns are almost a rival to the Pelicans already because they knocked them out in the playoffs this past year, which, by the way, was just this calendar year, which is just blowing my mind. It was May. It was May. feels like it was like two years ago. Like it's December, and that was only in May. Crazy. I think they're a good fit for a potential rivalry. It's just, I wonder if it's not legitimate. It's just like the Suns are kind of the ugly stepchild to a bunch of other organizations' rivalries. I feel like this rivalry has all the pieces. And there's a story by Kevin Zimmerman up on uh, ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app that kind of keys in on what has been the biggest piece of this rivalry so far. And it's the guy who used to spend his playing days in New Orleans. And Chris Paul. And the other part of it being Jose Alvarado. That's where this rivalry kind of starts, as Kevin's pointing out in his story. Basically a chronological history of how this thing really got kick-started. Well, you know what else it is? I, I think part of it stems back to Alvin Gentry, but really what it is, is it's Willie Green. Willie that, Green, a the, disciple of Monty Williams. The teams are structured the same way. And Monty Williams, who coached in New Orleans. They behaved the same way. They know too much about each other. It's a it's a budding rivalry now because these organizations mirror each other in so many ways. Gosh, you're making me want to go to the game tonight. <laughs> there you go. It's not good, too late. I mean, I, I should have been more convinced to go to this game to begin with. I'm but, sure we can call somebody. I've, I've, I've got stuff I got to do though. It's fine. It's fine. But I do th- I do think that this is potentially a budding rivalry for the Suns. 
And that could be good. But keep in mind, a rivalry does not necessarily mean that you beat them every time, right? It usually no, means it's competitive. No, there has to be some balance, right? If you think about it, if you if you want this rivalry to start at the playoff series, so that was a 4-2 and two advantage for the Suns. Right. And this year, it's 1-2 and two for the Suns against the Pels in three games. Right. So they're dead even right now. And if you win, if the Suns win no, the game tonight... They're 5-4, and four, sorry. If the Suns win the game tonight, then you have a regular season split. Yep. At 2-2. Two and two. Yep. And the next time you would potentially see them is the playoffs, because this is the last time they'll face each other all this season. Is, this is, which this is part of, to think about. This part of scheduling is absurd to me. This will be the third time they've played them in like two weeks, and now they're done. Yeah. That's so stupid. So, who knows? Maybe tonight it's kind of a fun environment, and it's a fun game, and then we don't hear about the Pelicans for four months. The other part of it is, just like from a basketball perspective, you're going to be without DeAndre Ayton again. And the Suns finally got their first win after losing five straight and six out of seven. And looking really bad in a good chunk of those five losses that they had. Six losses that they had. Is this a game that's going to make you feel better about the Suns if they win? Or is this just going to confirm all of your fears if they lose? Does it make me feel better? I mean, it always feels better to win Because the Clippers that they beat on Thursday was like no Kawhi, no Paul George, no... Do those guys uh, even play Powell, basketball like, anymore? I feel like I haven't seen no, Kawhi play it, since like 2016. It, it was their second night of a back-to-back. Paul okay. George had just a triple-double. Kawhi had 19. Like They had just played, okay. but they also sat like their entire roster for a night. So if the Suns had lost, I would have been far more concerned if they hadn't won. Yeah, I, I think I told you this a week ago because they were in a bad situation a week ago as well. I'm not super concerned about the Suns. They're not a complete team right now. Chris Paul just came back within the last couple of weeks. Devin Booker's been dealing with some issues. Aiton is out. So let's give it a couple of weeks and see where they're at once they're a little bit more healthy. Maybe Cam Johnson comes back in a few weeks. Then I'll be able to get a better picture of what the Suns really are. And, and maybe we have a resolution to the Jay Crowder situation by then. Coming up next... If the Arizona Cardinals are to move on from head coach Cliff Kingsbury this offseason, will they even be able to woo anybody to fill the void? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. It's kind of weird to have NFL action on a Saturday, but here we are. Is it weirder to see one team is down by 30 points? Yeah, so as of right now, we are one minute away from halftime in the Indianapolis Colts versus Minnesota Vikings game. If you had asked me what was going to happen in this game, I would have said that the Vikings would have won. Maybe it would have been a little bit close. Right now, it's 30 to zero. All right, can I throw a curveball out there, particularly to get Trevor Henry's attention? Vikings lose out, Lions win out. Ooh. I like that. Are the Lions going to win the NFC North, Trevor Henry? It almost sounds like they don't even go in the same sentence, don't it? Well, so it, it doesn't is, make sense. It's physically possible, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. The Lions have already beaten the Vikings the one time that they've played this year, correct? I think they beat them twice. Oh, they beat them twice? Yeah. Lions in the NFC North win the division? <laughs> Uh, it's it's it sounds like pie in the sky, but it's actually not impossible. Okay, okay well, so wait. Well, how about this? It's obviously seven. more likely the Lions, if they make the playoffs, it's more likely they're going to get in as a wild card. But if they've beaten the Vikings twice already, they're only... They, they, you have the okay, tiebreaker. They'd have to win out. And, and the, the Vikings, Vikings would, would have, have to lose out. out. That's the only way they would win the division at this point. It's wild, but it's possible. 
it's scary possible. <laughs> By the way, the Lions, I, I don't think people get this with the Lions, but they have one of the best offenses in the entire league. Okay, I have to correct myself. They're one on one. Equally, against each other they have year. one of the worst okay. defenses I've ever seen. Like, I think a middle school team could probably score on the Detroit Lions, but their offense is legit, man. So, like, if they even did make it to the playoffs, they would be interesting to watch. They would put up a fight against somebody, but there's no way they're winning a playoff they game. Just, Not yet. They just got Jamison Williams uh, Williams off IR, too. Very talented receiver out of Good Alabama. weapon. They got a lot of good weapons. Just really helps that offense out. I like the running backs. So, the Lions awesome. have the Jets, the Panthers, the Bears, and the Packers. Good schedule. And then the Vikings, of course, they're playing the Colts. They're probably going to lose to the Colts right now. And then yeah, after, They're down 30 nothing at halftime. After that, they have the Giants, the Packers, and the Bears. 30 is nothing. It, is it feasibly possible that the Vikings are going to lose out, the Lions win out, and win the division? I'm all for it. I know you're all possible, for it. Possible, yes. Likely, no. Sorry, Trev. It'll be interesting to see. Somebody but yeah, they're, they're about to head into halftime, so the Vikings will figure out what the hell they're going to do. 30 to nothing. I don't believe that. As they're closing out the half in Minnesota, Indianapolis on top of the Vikings. That's insane. Got to talk about this Cardinals situation, though. There was the rumors that came out the week that the Cardinals played the Chargers. Do you recall these rumors, Steve? There were rumors that Sean Payton was eyeing the potential opening with either the Chargers or the Cardinals. There was a rumor that was put out there. Right. They both have quarterbacks of the future, although that was before Kyler got the ACL injury. Correct. He's There's, still the quarterback of the future, it, it, look, to be clear. Yeah, that's not going to change. You've got Kyler Murray in one place, you got Justin Herbert in the other. The other teams that were been thrown out there in connection to Sean Payton, who, of course, is former Super Bowl winning head coach with the New Orleans Saints, the Dallas Cowboys, who have Dak Prescott, of course they have Jerry Jones, and then the L.A. Rams, who, if Sean McVay decides to bail, that seems like a pretty good place to end up because you get to stay in L.A. He works for Fox now, so he's already based there. Would he stay there? Of course, for Cardinals fans, you have to imagine that Sean Payton is at top of the wish list if if Cliff Kingsbury gets the axe this offseason. It would be so crazy to me if Sean McVay left. I mean, I understand you have a rough season. Aaron Donald considered retiring in the offseason. And if that had happened, maybe you do retire. Maybe if you're Sean McVay. He's only like in his, what, late 30s, early 40s? McVay? I think he's, I think he's, he's 38. In his early, 38. He's younger than Cliff. And you got to think about it in the context of the NFC West, right? Like the Cardinals are in disarray and possibly without their starting quarterback to start next season and a head coach that I I don't feel very confident in. You look at Seattle. I know they've had a lot of progress with Geno Smith, but Seattle is still not a great football team. It's certainly a winnable division. San Francisco has an incredible defense, just otherworldly, and they're running on a third quarterback right now. They got two Maybe quarterbacks their best there. quarterback this year. Maybe. So I think this is a very winnable division. I think it would be a mistake for Sean McVay to leave. Now, obviously, you have to weigh personal reasons and you know other goals that he has in mind for his career. Are you going to want to start that. over a quarterback if Matthew Stafford doesn't come back? See, I would think he would come back. Who's but, Stafford? But, yeah, I would think. I would think too, but but, but what you, if he you never know, you know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if you're Sean Payton, yeah, that's a that's certainly a spot that I would consider. Is L. A. It's a premier market. It's easy to get people to come and play there. They seem to have the less need mentality. Is let's uh, let's forget about draft picks and let's go get players that can help us win now. Will he continue that 
philosophy into the next coaching search if they do need a new coach? Or will they look at their situation and say, listen, we don't have any draft picks for the next couple of years, so we need to start stockpiling? So I have a question for you. How much of a factor do you think it is that the Cardinals already have their quarterback in place? How much do you think that matters to Sean Payton when he's looking for a new job? I think it would matter to any coach looking for a job. I think having a starting quarterback of that caliber would be huge. Look at what when Steve Wilkes got hired in Arizona. He didn't have a quarterback. He had Sam Bradford, and then they drafted Josh Rosen. There was no established franchise quarterback. Well, we have an answer. Sean Payton was a guest of the Ryan Rosillo podcast earlier this week, and... Ryan at first asked him about what is it like hearing your name in all these rumors, and Sean Payton made it clear, like, I'm hoping to coach again, et cetera, et cetera. And that eventually led into Ryan asking him about how important it is to have an established quarterback when choosing a new job. I read some of these things where this is what he has to, and it's like it's nonsense. It, the quarterback is, is important, but the functionality from front office to ownership is everything. And, and so it won't be because... A club is not in position with the current uh, franchise quarterback. I mean, that, that those jobs don't come open. I mean, if, if the quarterback's a franchise player, they're probably winning. And went on to say that it's more about front office and ownership rather than the quarterback. It's going to be a lot more dependent on the leadership in the front office and, and the ownership. Uh, because there are, some, there are some of those jobs where... I don't care who your quarterback is. Like it's if, if we're looking at past performance and we're trying to predict future achievement, you know, there, there's some of these places that have just been dysfunctional and it, and it hasn't been a head coach issue. It's been more of an ownership issue. So if Kyler Murray is not what's going to deter or determine whether or not Sean Payton takes what could potentially be an availability here to head coach the Cardinals, is Michael Bidwell going to be a problem standing in that way? Yeah, that is the question. So the question that the follow-up that I have as a, as a Cardinals fan and observer to Sean Payton is, what do you think of Michael Bidwell? What does the league think of Michael Bidwell? Well, don't forget, he used to be a ball boy for the Cardinals organization <laughs> all the way back in St. Louis. I don't know how much that so matters he's to me, he's familiar with the Bidwell family. He, yeah, they're familiar at the least, but I forget about their their interpersonal relationship for a second because I don't know what their relationship is like, if anything. But more so, especially after the firing of Steve Wilkes after one season, how does the rest of the league view Michael Bidwell as an employer? Because you don't want to work for an owner that makes decisions willy-nilly, that gives you a five-year, four-year contract, but then after one year is like, you know what, this isn't working, let's let's cut bait. It happened. We, we can't go back and change that. It happened with Steve Wilkes. It was a bad fit from the beginning, uh, lots of things were wrong. You didn't have a quarterback. You had multiple quarterbacks that weren't very good. Uh, they put a bad staff around him. Uh, the Mike McCoy thing. Everything went wrong with Steve Wilkes. But you can't deny that firing a coach after one year changes the reputation of an owner at the very least slightly. People look at that and say, do I really want to go work for a guy who cuts bait with his coaches a year in? Okay, well, let's consider... Do I trust that guy? Let's consider the rest of Bidwell's resume. Since he took over essentially doing a more of the day-to-day operations for his father, that was highlighted by 
a trip to the NFC Championship game that was highlighted by 2015. the acquisition of Carson Palmer and what has been the best Cardinals season under Michael Bidwell's tenure as the president, CEO, owner, etc., whatever title you want to give him, even before his father passed away. Well, the organization's in a better place with Michael than it was with Bill at the helm. So he was I the, believe that. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was the one who said goodbye to Kent Wisenhunt. Uh, Ken Wisenhunt, excuse yeah. me. He hired Bruce Arians. Yes. He elevated Steve Keim. Yes. 2013, I think. But then at the same time, while there was that success, there was the failure of Steve Wilkes. There was the failure of approving Josh Rosen and the trade up to get Josh Rosen. Has there been success or failure with drafting of Kyler Murray and hiring of Cliff Kingsbury? You could point to success of them making the playoffs and winning 11 games. But you could also point to the failure of what is this exact moment in time we are in right now. And hell, even that playoff game was a failure. I think if you're Sean Payton or another coach looking for a job, you probably look at Bidwell's relationship with Steve Keim and say, that's a person he put a lot of trust in. And through thick and thin, and there's probably been more thick than thin in the Keim era, he stood by Steve Keim. He extended Steve Keim. He extended Cliff Kingsbury, which is why if there's a coaching opening, it's going to be a little weird to figure out because you're going to be thinking, oh, well, he did extend Cliff, but then he also fired him before the extension even started. So there's a lot of factors here, and it's interesting to hear Sean Payton say, I'm more interested in the ownership and GM situation because think about this, too. We've heard rumors that a coach like Sean Payton might uh, draw the attention of ownership in a way that they give him GM powers. Personnel decisions could be his. I would imagine that's what he wants. Something like John Gruden had when he went to uh, to Las Vegas or Oakland or whatever. Which, you know, it worked out so well for them. No, well, that has a different ending no, to no, that no, storybook. Outside of the ending, I'm just talking about the general managerial moves that he and Mike Mayock did. Right. Look at how unsuccessful those drafts were. Right. Do you fear that if you give Sean Payton that kind of power here in Arizona? I wouldn't. It's a personally. little intimidating. It's a little intimidating. I mean, think about how successful they were taking a gamble with Drew Brees. Could you compare that to how the Cardinals took a gamble with Carson Palmer? Yeah, but sometimes if you want a Super Bowl winning coach, you got to pay a price like that. So that's why it's interesting to hear Sean Payton say, uh, I'm more intrigued by the relationship with the front office because he could be the front office. That's true. If he landed a job like this. If the ownership gives him that kind of ability, that is. Yeah. Hey, remember last week when we were talking about that brawl at Mullet Arena? <laughs> yeah. When the Coyotes <laughs> played the Bruins? That was awesome. Turns out there's a very important part of that story that we missed. Uh-oh. But we'll tell you next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch and Steve present Footnotes on Arizona Sports Saturday. Footnotes is the part of the show where we run through some of the things we didn't get to on today's program. It was inspired by when I accidentally stepped on a sticky note. I see what you did. And then there was a foot. Okay, no, that was a terrible joke. For a guy who's not a dad, you have a lot of dad jokes. We had great creativity coming up with the title of this segment. (laughs) Just putting it out there. Going on right now, by the way, it's halftime in the Minnesota Vikings (laughs) game versus the Indianapolis Colts. We've missed three points, by the way. It is now 33 to 0. The Colts are winning that game. How is that happening? You know, I saw from ESPN Stats and Info. I'm just going to pull it up real quick. 
It is the largest halftime lead for the Colts in 25 years when they led the Dolphins 34-0 in 97. And it's the largest halftime deficit for the Vikings in 20 years when they trailed the Seahawks 45-10. Cool. Didn't the Colts just get blown out? Didn't they get shut shut out? Like, oh yeah, they allowed ago? thirty points in the fourth quarter to the Cowboys. They lost twenty four to zero to the Jaguars two weeks ago, and, and they, they are now they winning thirty three to zero on the road at halftime. They also lost fifty four nineteen to Dallas just last week. No, two weeks ago. The Colts are a bad football team. I know they tied the yeah they tied the worst team in the league. What did you expect? Their oh. interim head coach is an ESPN analyst. <laughs> Jeff Saturday with a great record on the Saturdays. Well, <laughs> he's going to be one and zero on Saturdays. He had, he, his team has scored the most points on Saturdays in a first half. That's for sure. It's, it's got to be meta statistic you're ever going to hear. In the only one and zero Saturday. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we talked last week, uh, last Saturday, because there was a fight at Mullet Arena Uh-oh. on Friday before our show. Yes, it was there at was. the Coyotes game. It was probably more entertaining than the game. And the game, they beat the number one team in the NHL. Yeah, to specify, they beat the Boston Bruins, where, of course, there was a fight with Boston involved. Go figure. Sorry. Go ahead. The fight was epic. There's a great video out there you can find, uh, including an officer who is just standing there doing nothing. He's just chilling. And then another officer who comes in from the basically the upper deck and just jumps <laughs> over like five people. I don't know how that was helpful in any way. But what's the expression in wrestling? He he jumped from the um, from the top ropes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came in from the top. Oh my god. Uh, we missed perhaps the most important part of the fight. Yeah, I don't know how we missed this. I don't know how we missed this either, but uh, apparently this happened. One person's finger was bitten off during the brawl. Whoa! Somebody lost a finger at Mullet Arena. Which finger? I don't know. Full disclosure. Okay, okay. Can, we, can we speculate on which finger it was? Uh, I mean, sure. I'm going to guess the middle finger. Because <laughs> that's probably <laughs> what he was getting before he got his hand bit off. Oh, man. Somebody bit it off. That's very... That is gory. That's very Mike Tyson-y. You know <laughs> and that what I mean? Was, that, not to... Not to diminish the parts of the human body, but like that was an ear. This is a finger. So over on how K- much of the finger? After like, I, I what? I don't know. After I heard about this, over on KTAR this week, we did a uh, call-in segment where we had people call in if they've lost a finger. It was one of my best ideas. What was I've the had. best one? Uh, a guy calls in and he says, "I'm a laser technician." Okay. And I work with high-powered lasers that are invisible and just. Put my hand right through it. <gasps> finger comes no. off. He said he went to the hospital and like brought the finger with him, and they were like, "That's a cleaner cut than we could have made." A laser technician called into our show. We had another guy who said he's a construction worker who sledgehammered his finger off oh on accident. God. Uh, we had a woman who said that her boyfriend was trying to get the phone out of her hand and ripped her finger off. What? Yeah. Literally. How hard was she holding onto that phone? No idea. We had another guy who said he slammed it in a door when he was a kid and the finger fell off. Oh. Yeah. It was a great segment. I by can't the way. believe you found five people. I didn't think anybody would call in. I thought we were gonna just have to talk about the mullet arena thing and then talk about remember Rashad Johnson with the Cardinals? Yeah. And his finger fell off mid game. That's the the tip the of the famous finger. quote, I've got nine more. It was in his glove. He took his glove off and the finger fell out. Ugh. 
freaky that is. I, I don't like thinking about. You know, I'm struggling pulling my muff off the floor right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a wild thing that just. I'll happened. come in after the show's done and use my two hands to help lift the jaw. We found out uh, last week that Brittany Griner was coming home from a Russian prison after yes. I think nine or ten months overseas. Um, she was apprehended just before the Russia-Ukraine situation evolved. So she's back. She's, she's back. Totally in back in Phoenix. America. Yes. yes. And Diana Taurasi and Vince Kozar and GM Jim Pittman met her on the tarmac, which I thought was a really cool touch. Her wife as well. Yes. And uh, Brittany Griner says she's going to play for the Mercury next season. I don't mind it. No, I, I, of I, I, course sorry. I don't mind let me, it. Let me the better question is, is she prepared to do that? Let me phrase that better. The Mercury season doesn't start until, what, March? Like, she's got time to get back into playing shape. Yeah. There's also a mental side to it, too. Not sure. to say that she isn't equipped to go back to playing basketball. It's her profession. But at the same time, like, that's hard, man. That's a hard step forward. Yeah. Here's the real question. Because the reason she was apprehended in Russia is she plays for a Russian basketball team. Oh, I can tell you this. She is never going to play overseas again. That's the question. I Do doubt you it. go back and play in Russia again? I highly doubt it. She makes $1 million a year in Russia. She makes two hundred k in the United States. Well, there's your problem right there. It's a problem, but it's the pro- the answer, the solution to her problem was before it was play in Russia. Well, this is Does what she I, ever go back th- ever again? This is what I mean. Like, the only reason she's going over there is because she's not getting paid enough here. Very clearly, right? Well, she's getting paid the max in, well, in the WNBA. Well, there's, then there's another layer to that problem, I guess. But I highly doubt she goes back. Do you want to... Would you... If you're in the same situation, say you're a it's five times your salary, you're a basketball man. player, you play overseas and you get arrested and you're imprisoned for ten months, and it requires a prisoner swap for you to get back home. She was going to do that again. No, I don't think I would. I, I don't think if I'm her, I'm probably never going near Russia ever again. I don't trust I might Russia. I'm not even period. go to Asia or Europe again. So see, that's that's where I was going to go with this. There's other leagues. I mean, she could go play in Turkey. She could go play in the Euro League. She could go play. In, she could play in Canada. She could. doesn't have to go far. I, it's just I a matter of how much more money are you going to. I make. understand the money's there, but if you want to play in the off season, go go somewhere else. According to the Associated Press, there are 12 women in the WNBA who also played for Russian teams, mm-hmm. and according to them. None of them are going back. Not surprised. And Diana Taurasi played in Russia too, right? I'm sure in her earlier career. Wasn't I, that when she took the hiatus from the from the Mercury? I doubt she would now, though. And not just because of the situation, but like she's almost forty. You know, she's at that point in her career. We haven't talked about the hot stove here today on the show. It's kind of cold. It's been pretty cold, especially for the Arizona Diamondbacks. There was a good move yesterday, though. Andrew Benintendi, left fielder, all-star last season, signs with the Chicago White Sox. Five years, $75 million. What am I to think about that? Okay, what do you take away more? That basically any team could have paid him that money? Or the fact that that is the most expensive contract handed out in Chicago White Sox history? See, that surprised me. I didn't know that. Me too. I didn't think about that. And we've seen that from a couple of organizations this offseason. The Tampa Bay Rays signed a contract with, gosh, who was that? Uh, Zach, Zach Eflin. $40 million That's the highest free agent signing that the Rays have ever had. I wasn't surprised by that, given the, how the Rays handle their, you know, their payroll. But it's always fascinating when it's, you know, it's, it's Zach Eflin. Yeah. Who? Not a huge name. No. It's, it's not like that- a Garrett Cole or a... 
Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa or Bryce Harper. You know, it's not one of those names. It's Zach Eflin. What speaks to me about this Andrew Benintendi thing, he's a left-handed hitting outfielder. He's going to hit you roughly 290 to 300. He plays great defense. Pretty good defense. If he gets five years, 75, and the Diamondbacks are currently trying to ship out one of their four left-handed hitting young outfielders... If the White Sox are willing to pay Benintendi $75 million rather than make a trade from one of those D-backs players, that tells me the price is really high. I don't know that they negotiated at all with the D-backs. But well, okay, so Benintendi is, in, is on the right side of 30. I, think, I believe he's 31. Whereas Dalton Varsho is 26, 27. Alec Thomas is 24. The price gap is different. You're paying a lot less for those guys than you would for an Andrew Benintendi. So I imagine that that's part of the reasoning. I do still think that the Diamondbacks will get a trade done this offseason. I'm still kind of mad thinking about that deal. Like, wait, this team, this team, this team, this team, this team, this team couldn't have paid five seventy five. Really? Well, who did you want them to go to? The Giants, but that's a different story. <laughs> You're not happy with the Giants right now? No, I'm They've I, made some big moves lately. They, they got Carlos Correa. I think I'm good. Yeah, that's We'll a pretty... see how that one turns out. I'm very interested to see how the NL West plays out this year. Second half about to kick off in Minnesota, where it is currently 33-0. to zero. The Colts lead in that one. That's Barnstormer, baby. Insane. Pretty crazy for a first Saturday game. I'm not going to lie to you. Let's get out of here. All right. You've been uh, listening to Arizona Sports Saturday. I want to thank Mitch Vareldis, my co-host, and also Trevor Henry behind the glass. You've been listening to Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.